Hey everybody, this is Clint, co-host and editor of School Your Podcast. Just wanted to let you know that we record our different segments at different times, and this particular episode, our dad chat segment, was recorded the day after Chad got done coaching a football game, and his voice is a little trashed, and sound quality is not perfect, but don't let that deter you from enjoying the episode. Hi everyone, I'm Daphne. This time on School Your, Chad and Clint debate how bad their teacher duties are, say the word goals way too much, and discuss what is making their lives fun in dad chat. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, happy Labor Day. This is Chad in the great Pacific Northwest, Astoria, Oregon. And I'm Clint in the Appalachian region of the Eastern United States in Roanoke, Virginia. Welcome to episode two of our second season of School Yeah, the podcast where two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses talk across the country about their combined 30-plus years of educational experiences. And anything else we can come up with. We are men of the people. The goal is to make a podcast the teachers, and anyone else, tell your friends, find as fun and interesting as the teacher's lounge during lunch, but without the complaining. Uh, we don't complain. We are merely encouraging productive struggle. <laughs> sure. Unless <laughs> season, Chad and I had a debate in which we argued in favor of our most essential classroom tool, the pencil sharpener versus the stapler. That's right. And the pencil sharpener won our online poll by the narrowest of margins. We thought that was pretty fun. So we're bringing back the debate, but with a little twist. Today, we're going to debate two non-instructional teacher duties that most likely all teachers will have to do at some point in their careers, lunchroom duty and bus duty. And to make it more fun, we'll be debating which one sucks worse. Which is obviously debatable. And to add another layer to this debate, neither of us knows which side we'll be arguing. Once we are randomly assigned which duty we're going to claim to be the worst, we will each have an opportunity to debate why ours is the most unpleasant. All right, so here we go. So right now I have on two pieces of paper, uh, bus duty on one and lunch duty on the other. The first one that I draw, Clint, is going to be assigned to you. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. I don't know if I can trust you. All right, man, you have bus duty. Bus duty. All right. Do we have a time limit? Uh, Let's keep it reasonable. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, look at my watch, and I'm going to time myself for a minute. Okay, fair enough. You go first. Who likes to be cold and wet? Not me. Unfortunately, that is generally the problem when you are assigned to bus duty. You are outside, in the elements, trying to wrangle a bunch of students getting them onto their buses. And when do buses arrive on time? Never. So you have all sorts of kids sitting around, being bored. They have been stuck in their classrooms all day long. They're full of nervous energy, and they are pushing each other, giggling. All the problems that have welled up over the day, they might be ready to fight. There might be all kinds of problems. It is unpleasant. It's It can be smelly because everybody's all <laughs> packed together. There is nothing good about bus duty. It can also take an interminable amount of time and you never know how long it is going to last because that last bus may show up 30 minutes late and you have to wait for it. Bus duty is the worst. Done. Okay. Good points, Clint. Good points. All right, here we go. I'm going to talk about lunch duty. I think the obvious saying about lunch duty, which makes it so horrible, is the fact that this is your lunchtime. As a teacher, you need that break in the middle of the day away from kids in a quiet space or with other teachers to decompress so you can charge up for the day. The last thing you need to do is be dealing with 
students in a noisy cafeteria, uh, the smell of you know, soured ketchup and hot dogs and everything else that comes along with the school lunch. It's loud. Um, you obviously have the threat of a food fight, which would be probably the worst thing ever, because uh, if a food fight happened on your watch, the first thing someone's going to say is, hey, who was here, you know, watching the kids? You got to move around the whole time. You, you can't be uh, you can't be sitting. Uh, you you got to be you got to be on your feet, which is, again, the last thing you want to do during during your lunch break. Lunch duty is horrible. It's the last thing I would want to do. Done. All right. Good job. I think you were a couple seconds over, but nothing that I'm going to penalize. I'll just edit you. Okay. All right. Thanks. I'll take out your best arguments. That's what's going to happen. All right. So I think what we should do now is we should take a couple seconds to rebut the other person and maybe point out some good things about the other person's assigned duty. So I'll start, and uh, I'm going to talk about the good things about lunch duty. One of the things that is most difficult in a school setting is being able to connect with students outside of your classroom. And when you have lunch mm -hmm. duty, you get to circulate around the lunchroom and chat with people and talk to them about about their days and you can make jokes and you can hang out and you do get to eat while it's happening and probably the most important thing is that lunch is a designated amount of time you know exactly when it's going to end so even if it's a really bad day you know it's going to end fairly soon now chad talked about that there was the chances of a food fight uh, most of the time that's not a huge problem there's not going to be too many food fights going on but if there are hilarious if you pull out your phone and you record it, it will be viral and you will become famous. So I don't really see that many downsides to lunch duty. Well, here's the thing with bus duty. It's at the end of the day. You, you, you're you already kind of ready to stretch your legs, maybe get out of your classroom for a little bit, get out in the fresh air. And I would say that this is just as equal uh, of a good opportunity to chat with kids. Um, in fact, a lot of times after school, the kids are kind of letting their guard down. They're a little more relaxed. Uh, while you're waiting for the buses, you can sit there and chat about things that are not school related. Uh, I think it's an excellent time to connect with students. Second of all, it's a good opportunity for you to, to meet some of the bus drivers. Uh, we know that bus drivers are how students start the day uh, every day, and it's how they end the day. And so getting to make a little bit of a connection as, as bus drivers are waiting for kids to, to load up on the bus, you can chat with them, introduce yourself, get to know them a little bit, and it's a, it's a good opportunity to network uh, further throughout the district. Lastly, I think that being, you talked about being in the cold. Most uh, bus stops are covered. Like I said, it's a good opportunity to get some fresh air, enjoy the elements a little bit, and connect with those kids, and, and then get a say bye to them. You, you get to be the last face they see as they're, as they're driving away from school, and with that big smile and that wave that you have, Mr. Hill, uh, people are going to love you. I think one thing is extremely clear from this debate. Since neither of us really prepared, right. uh, we are both excellent BSers. Yes. Like, we have really good skills at just saying random crap. So good for us. Yeah, I didn't have anything written down or prepared or anything. No, me either. That was all just off the top of my head. Yeah, well, that was fun. Which teacher duty would you rather never have to do? Lunchroom or bus? You can vote on our Facebook page at School Japod so we can end this debate once and for all. And now, let's take a quick break. Hey, School you listeners, this is Chad, co-host of the podcast. And if you're like me, especially during this time of year, I bet you're having those crazy teacher dreams. I used to be like that, always having dreams that I come to class in my undies or my teeth were falling out during a formal observation. That was until I got a Clasper mattress. Yeah, they're really cool. 
I ordered my clasper online. A few days later, a big box shows up on my doorstep. In just a few minutes, my clasper is set up and ready for sleep. The folks at Clasper use some pretty crazy subliminal hypnosis or something like that that I don't understand, but it sure works. Since getting my Clasper, I've slept like a baby with no more teacher dreams. It's great. So give Clasper a try. Find them online and use our promo code SCHOOLEDYA for a free set of dry erase markers. Check it out. Clasper. Have an A-plus night. Welcome back. It's the beginning of the school year, and amid all the things we are trying to do, like learn our students' names, recalibrate our sleeping schedule, and get our vocal cords back into teaching condition, there's one other inevitable requirement for a teacher every September. That's right. Prepare for your fantasy football season. No. Wrong. False. I was referring to setting our annual teaching goals. Oh, yeah, yeah, those. Student growth goals, professional goals, department goals, whatever they may be called or however they are determined, every teacher out there right now is trying to write their official goals for the year, which, at least in some people's opinion, might determine whether your year was a success or not. This can be an understandably stressful process. So Chad and I thought this might be a good time to discuss how goal setting has looked different throughout our years in teaching, why the process can sometimes be challenging, and of course the pros and cons to setting those pesky annual goals. So do you recall through your years of teaching anything that's kind of been different about your goal setting since you since you began or a difference in the districts that you've been in? Well, I remember when I first started teaching, they weren't data-driven. It was just sort of like a, what do you want to do this year? Uh, write it down, hand it to the principal, and then forget about it until the end of the year. And then they'll ask you, how did you do on this? And you'll say, pretty good. And things were fine. So the goals were a lot more lax when I first right. started teaching. And, and they've gotten significantly more intense as time has gone on. How about you? I would actually say the exact same thing. I don't know about you and what you're seeing where you're at, but it seems like this process every year is stressful on a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Teachers really have a difficult time coming up with these, writing these, and feeling good about them as they get into the school year. Do you see the same thing? Yeah, I think a major part of it is there's a certain level of stress because you feel like this is the way that you are going to be judged at the end of the year. Right. And the evaluation process, depending on your district, that could be determining not necessarily what your pay is, but what your standing is in the district. Um, the district that I'm in now is much more interested in scores in general mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. Astoria was. I remember uh, the superintendent in Astoria telling us that he didn't care so much about what our score was. He wanted to make sure that we were getting better at what we were doing. I don't know that that's necessarily the emphasis here. And so when you are given you need to set this goal, and if you don't meet it, you're going to be in trouble, that makes it much more difficult because sometimes the goals can feel a little out of reach. And also, there's so many things that go into student growth that is outside the teacher's control right. that it feels right. like, well, I'll do what I can, but what if they don't make it because of X, Y, or Z? That's not my fault. I was right. doing everything that I could. Right. And so I think that there's a there's a certain level of kind of, I don't know, I don't like using lots of like war metaphors, but it feels like the people that are in the trenches are kind of working with reality. Here's what 
I think I can do. Whereas the uh -huh. generals on the outside are like, oh no, we need to get these things done in this amount of time. Why aren't you getting there? I think there's some right. dissonance between those two concepts and we don't communicate it very well. The other thing that I think is challenging for a lot of my colleagues and myself is literally like writing them, the semantics that go into writing the goal. And especially when we're talking about student growth. First of all, it's really hard to sometimes determine, especially if your goal is going to be using it, some sort of assessment that you are not familiar with or that you haven't used in the past, some way of assessing student growth. It's really hard to actually pick a number of what you're trying to attain. Right. Sometimes it feels like you are randomly picking something that you're hoping your kids get to by June. And until you've maybe done it a year or two and you use the same type of assessment, it's really hard to know kind of what good is and what not so good is. And and it's hard to look that far in the future. And then again, just, just writing it correctly in a way that is going to, I, I have written goals that my administrator and I have agreed upon. And by the end of June, you realize that that goal was like laughable. Mm -hmm. Either it was, either it was impossible to attain or it was uh, the way you assessed it was not good in hindsight. And then the other thing, like you said, is, is a lot of times teachers are very nervous. If I don't write this well, if I don't put this in, in the right context, or if I, if I don't meet this, I'm going to be in really big trouble. And um, that's super stressful when it's the second week of the school year and you're not even really sure, you know, the, the type of students you're dealing with yet. I remember in Astoria, because I had been there for a while and was established and had a pretty good relationship with the administration, I remember not being super stressed about writing my goals because I was like, well, if I don't make it and my number is bad, I trust that things are going to be okay and it's not like I'm going to lose my job over it. But when I moved here, and this is nothing against the administration that I have now, I was an unknown quantity to them. And I was dealing with a whole new curriculum, a new environment that students are coming from. And I was much more nervous. And I think for our first year teachers, because they are quote unquote probationary teachers, there is a ton of stress of if I don't meet these goals, that is cause for me to be fired. But I think we sometimes view these goals as being almost a form of punishment instead of a way that we are trying to improve our practice. And I think that there's some right. implementation problems in the way that we talk about goals that makes it feel like people are out to get you instead of we want right. to work together to make our school and, and you a better part of that school. So I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about goals. I'm deep in my feelings. Yeah, no, for sure. So what are the, what are some of the good things that you see come from this this process? Well, I think that it's always good to reflect on what do you want to have happen in the year? What do you want your students to actually come out of the classroom with? What new skills should they have? Being able to think about that clearly and set goals that direct your curriculum to come up with what's going to be best to get them there, that aspect of goal setting is admirable. And I think many of us do that anyway without kind of the system being involved. What about you? One of the things that our administration always encourages us and tells us, and this is, is always kind of a relief, is they say, you know, make sure you write goals that are meaningful to you. And I think sometimes we just fall back on or it sometimes can be difficult to, to write them. So we, we just find kind of a, a standard goal that 
you know, is, is easy to write. But if you can write goals that are truly objectives that you are trying to reach, and if there are things that are going to keep you moving in a direction that maybe has been difficult for you in the past, and it's a personal goal of yours that I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing a better job of this, then writing a goal towards that is is a good way to, you know, help keep you accountable and help keep you on a track. Because let's face it, you know, as teachers, sometimes we can get into our comfort zones and be well aware of some areas of weakness that we have in terms of our instruction or what our kids are not getting or, or are getting. And, and being able to hold a level of accountability for yourself can be a really good thing. The, the challenge, and this kind of goes into the, the, the cons of, of this, is you kind of mentioned it earlier, it is very easy to write this goal for yourself and then kind of forget it or just kind of move on until you're readdressing it mid-year. And um, that is something that I know I need to do a better job of is like, keep a better kind of tab on on my goals as I work through the year so that they truly are doing what they're meant to accomplish. One of the other problems is that at the beginning of the year, you're pretty gung-ho, you're full of energy, you're ready to go. And then for the rest of the year, after a couple of months in, your mind kind of can sometimes switch into survival mode. I know I need to get, I want them to learn these things, but I also just want to keep up with everything that is going on and it becomes really easy like you say to forget your goal because you're just trying to make it i just got to get through this week you know you got homecoming coming up you've got all these duties and things that you've got to take care of maybe you're not concentrating as diligently as you could on the thing you set four weeks ago and then it becomes even more difficult when it's four months ago and I think that one of the biggest problems with goals is that they do not give enough leeway for real life to get involved. The importance of a certain skill getting across can lose its value when you are also trying to help a kid have enough food to eat or deal with the fact that their mom just got laid off or died or whatever. And, and those are things that we deal with. It's hard to write a goal that says, I really connected with this impoverished community. Or there was two, there was two kids in my class all year that I think I kept them in school from, you know, <laughs> from dropping out. It, it, you, don't, you don't set those goals. And man, sometimes those are the most important thing. Right. One of the things I am very appreciative of, of our district is we are able to meet with our administrators mid-year. Mm -hmm. And they do give us the opportunity to readjust those, those goals a little bit. If you feel like you have a pretty good rationale for, hey, I, I need to change these numbers or I need to address a different population because X, Y, and Z is you know, something I've noticed now in the first half a year. So I was just going to move on to if you had any tips for, for, you know, writing goals. I think that it's good to write your goals in the company of another person to bounce ideas sure. off of each other, especially if you work in a district where you've got more than one person teaching the same thing that you're teaching to kind of get together right. and say, okay, what do you think about this? Because sometimes that can help you with the over ambitious goals, but it can also kind of right. be a check on lazy goals. And you could set your goal with your team, and then you are a team working together on it instead of it being this very individualized island of a situation where, you know, you're either sinking or swimming and there's nobody around to, to help you. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, if you're in a district that doesn't necessarily work in teams like that with PLCs or something else, check with your administrators to see if it would still be okay, like you said, to, to at least write the same goal as is the person across the hall from you. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an official formed team to, to still put your heads together and come up with something that you can even help keep each other accountable. Right, and if one of you is struggling to meet your goal, you can go across the hall and say, how are you doing this? And get right. some help. We don't do that enough as teachers. 
features, I think, unless we're forced to. Another tip that I would have, I would suggest you double checking or making sure that it is okay with your administrator as you write your goals to be very specific on the population that you are collecting data from. I mean that because we are able to include in our goal that any of the data that we are collecting has got to be a student who has attended school a certain percentage of the school year. I know a lot of times the argument from teachers is, my goal is meaningless if the student only came 60% of the time. And so we are allowed, and I can't remember off the top of my head what that percentage is, but I think unless a student has attended at least, either, I think it's 90% of the school year, we do not have to include that student in our data. Wow. And that's something that's kind of just common knowledge within our district, but it, it may be something that other teachers out there you may want to check with because it only seems fair that if you are going to be evaluated on student success, it has to be a student who was in your class most of the time. That makes sense. I mean, it's pretty tough to say, boy, this student didn't meet those growth goals. And you say, well, you know, they were only here three days a week. It's pretty tough to evaluate my teaching on that. You got anything else? I guess the biggest tip that I can think of is to not panic unless you have a very unreasonable administrator. If you are doing your best at your job and you're working hard, your administrator is going to take that into account and is going to be doing classroom observations and other stuff. This number is just one data point in many, many, many data points. If you are contributing to the good of your school, the goal is not as important as that. So I know that people get stressed out about it and I do too, Mm -hmm. but to always keep in the back of your mind this is just one thing and if you can keep that perspective then it's not going to be quite as intimidating i think well i think that just about covers it for goal setting anything out there that you guys want to add does your state have a particularly awesome or horrific requirement for teacher goals find us on twitter or facebook at school pod and join the conversation And with that, it's time for a word from another of our sponsors. This week's episode of Schooledia is brought to you by Pencilmate. Ninth graders are distinctly irresponsible creatures. They forget binders, homework, due dates, projects, paper, everything. But the number one item students forget on a daily basis is their pencil. A large percentage of a teacher's salary and life is spent procuring pencils for their pupils. Until now, we at Pencilmate have teamed up with the good folks at the Roslam Institute, who cloned Molly the sheep back in the mid-90s and finally put that technology to good use, breeding pencils. By placing two pencils into our specially designed pencil cup, overnight your two pencils will multiply into 20 or more new number twos. Gone are the days of scouring the halls for old drop pencils. With the Pencilmate breeding cup, you'll have more pencils than you can handle. Pencilmate, let's get it on. It is recommended you wash pencils before use. And welcome back to our third and favorite segment of the show, Dad, Dad Chat. Chat. It's a time for us to reflect on the things that are making us happy. Chad, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, as I've talked about quite a few times on the show, I am a football coach. Uh, As we record this right now, we just had our first game last night, and it didn't go as planned or as well as we would have liked, but not too bad, not too bad. Didn't win the game, but we're still feeling pretty good about things, so I played a pretty tough team. But what I wanted to talk about was, um, and you've actually talked about being part of a raft trip when you were teaching at Astoria High School. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and this has kind of been... 
a tradition that one of our former principals brought to Astoria many, many years ago. And they take different groups down to a place in Central Oregon where there's a lot of whitewater rafting. And they've always kind of used it as a, I don't know, how would you describe it, Clint? Like team building, bonding? Yeah, team bonding um, is what I was going to say. So we, uh, as a football program, started going on this trip four or five years ago. And I haven't been able to go. It's it's usually right at the end of August and I've had other things going on. But I got to go this year. And this was the first time I'd ever gone on the raft trip, whether it be with football program or any other of the classes that have gone. And honestly, I haven't really whitewater rafted, mm-hmm. uh, I think, ever. What a what an awesome experience. Isn't it fun? It was so much fun. I mean, I guess I always imagined like whitewater rafting was just like an hour or two of just like the entire time, like going down these crazy rapids. And obviously it was it was nothing like that. You know, it was about a three hour float and maybe what, seven or eight pretty exciting parts. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is just kind of like chilling right and that was the really cool part for me is uh you know you're in this boat with like seven other people um some coaches and 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 players and you just get a lot of time to to talk and usually not about football or about you know the things that you kind of have been talking about for the last three weeks but you get to know people Mm -hmm. and uh talk about some things that you maybe would never get the chance to do. So just a really cool experience. And I would say that, you know, if anyone was ever looking for some sort of team building or, or bonding type of experience, uh, doing something like that is certainly a, Uh, something I would recommend. So it was a ton of fun. So what do you got? Well, I've had my first two weeks of school already because we start a little earlier here in Virginia. And actually, Roanoke starts earlier than many other places in the state of Virginia. But knock on wood, I don't have any wood around me, so I don't have anything to knock on. I'll just... There we go. Uh, So far, my students are just fantastic. I have a couple of pre-AP classes, and they are pretty sharp kids and decent writers already. So that's going to make my job a lot, not just a little easier, but a lot more fun. And then I have just some really nice kids in my other classes. They are pleasant and fun, and they're fun to joke around with. And when I ask them to get to work, they get to work. And when when we play, they play. And it's it's just really been fun because the last couple of years here have been a little bit hard with some of my classes, uh, kids just with a lot of behavior problems and, and whatnot. And this year so far, I haven't faced that too much. So I'm I'm pretty excited. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up, I've listened to a lot of podcasts over the summer, but I wanted to make a podcast recommendation for those of you that, uh, that listen. Um, so this one, is, it's put out by Slate Media. And it's called Slow Burn, and it's a history podcast. Uh, They take a particular point in history and then break it down kind of along the lines of the stories that you would have heard had you been alive or had you been around during that time period. It's really cool and super well done, lots of interviews, and uh, it's the first one is all about the Nixon resignation and Watergate. And then the most recent one is about Bill Clinton and his impeachment trial and the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. And both of us were alive during the Bill Clinton thing. And not just alive, but we could have been paying attention to the news and knowing what's going on. But I was not. And so all of this stuff that I kind of knew the periphery of, I'm starting to get details of. And it's really been fun for me. And I really look forward to the episodes when they come out. So if you are a history nerd or you just like a well-produced podcast, I highly recommend Slow Burn. Well, hey, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Have any great lunchroom or bus duty disaster stories? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at schooljapod. You can also find me on Twitter at 
Seahill Astoria. Follow me on Instagram at Chatterboxes and don't forget about our website, schooledyapod.com. The lovely intro and outro music you are rocking out to was performed by my amazing wife, Nikki. And all our sponsors are fake, but our artwork is not. Big thanks to Corey Logan for our fantastic cover design. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon.